Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to help make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but educate, put it in context, and really, I tell you, try to figure out what the heck is going on. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All day today, I was asking, are people too eager to buy? I mean, that's how I felt about today's action. It's returning from a weekend in Miami for the big game. By the way, a Chiefs win counts as an Eagles win. Thank you, Andy Reid. I just think there are way too many people who want to buy right here, right now. After Friday's coronavirus-induced sell-off finally gave them what they think is a good entry point. And that's how the Dow surged up 374 points this morning before finally pulling back to close up 144 points. S&P gained 0.73. NASDAQ surged 1.34%. Now, I didn't do much talking this weekend, mind you. I just listened. What I heard were people wanted to buy at all costs. And we've all been trained to buy the S&P 500 on any decline, seemingly no matter how small. The only individual stocks anyone mentioned were Apple and Tesla. The dog was simple. Can I buy Apple in this dip? Do I have to wait for Tesla to go down or can I just buy it Monday? I try to be circumspect. I like both Apple and Tesla very much, as you know. But uh, buying here seems a little ill-advised, and not because I fear a gigantic decline, but because I want to know more about how the coronavirus is spreading. Well, it turns out I was too cautious about one of these stocks. Buying Tesla even up nearly 25 points where it was at the opening turned out to be an excellent idea. Stock closed, closed up 129 bucks. That move is one for the books, predicated upon both the crushing of the shorts and a love for the car. But Apple's more problematic. I still think it's an own-it-don't-trade situation. China's a huge market for them. And all of these quarantines could wreak havoc on their supply chain and they're closing their stores. Let's take a step back for a second, though, and talk about what I call the setup. The Dow lost 600 points on Friday. Now, that's certainly a sell-off. But when you're at Dow 29,000, that's not much of a dip. I think you want to wait for something deeper because we're still waiting for more shoes to drop with the outbreak. Right now, the virus is spreading rapidly. They haven't been able to contain it in China. I think this is one of those cases where you need to ask everyone, everyone you know, what, what they think. I happen to have the rare opportunity to be on the fabled NFL red carpet on Saturday, interviewing owners, coaches, players. I mostly asked what they thought would happen. Congratulations, Kansas City. Then along came David Tepper. He's the owner of the Carolina Panthers and one of the greatest investors of our time, in addition to being the guy who taught me fixed income trading at Goldman Sachs. I had to ask him about the virus. Now, frankly, I was hoping for some encouragement from the long side. A couple of weeks before, he told CNBC's own Joe Kernan that he was bullish on the markets. Apparently, that's changed. It's interesting. I mean, you have to 
It's very hard to figure. I mean, I, I don't know if you read, read that Lancet study. Oh, my God, I read it, yes. So it's, I, we're trying to back-engineer it ourselves right now, so I think that's what you got to do is try to figure it out. Certainly ruined uh, the, the environment and the setup right now, so you have to be careful because it may be a game-changer, so you just got to be cautious. And two weeks ago, you, you before the virus, it was one thing, yeah. and it's a different environment right now, so it is what it is. Well, he's such a smart guy. And look, hedge fund managers change their mind. So don't do what he says, uh, because that's just his information to me. But it got me thinking, what is it in this Lancet article that had us so wary? Well, the piece argued the disease could spread to a much wider net than what we're talking about. Much wider net of people because it appears to be spreading almost geometrically, so to speak. It argued that the coronavirus might not peak until April. This is not some sort of conspiracy theory. The Lancet's a vigorously peer-reviewed medical journal that's held in the highest esteem by the healthcare community. The article's very dry. I still want you to read it. The article's very dry. It quotes airline tables, trips from Wuhan, the rest of China, the rest of the world, tries to gauge travel. It seems almost like a science fiction story, though, about how the disease could spread if we don't find a cure or a vaccine. And the quarantine turns out to be too little too late. Now, it's a lot that needs to go right, and maybe too much, given the lack of transparency from China. The ruling Chinese Communist Party hasn't been all that forthcoming about the disease, and it's not like they have a great track record when it comes to transparency. For all we know, the real numbers could be substantially higher, which is what the reporting from independent sources like the New York Times seems to suggest. The People's Republic has effectively banned discussion of the virus on social media. They're trigger-happy when it comes to censorship. That's still not a good sign. The new hospitals going up in Wuhan... They have a real Potemkin Village vibe to me. So why not tell everyone to sell? Sell everything. Look, you, you should have a much higher cash reserve than normal. Uh, that's what we're doing for my charitable trust, as you'll find out if you join the ActionAlertsPlus.com club in time for Thursday's conference call. I don't think this dip is as viable as everyone at the game in Miami seemed to believe. Everyone except the smartest guy I know in stocks, David Tepper. However, you don't tell people to sell everything unless the sky is falling. Uh, I, I made one of the best calls when I told you to dump everything right before the big breakdown in 2008. You could have sidestepped a 40 percent decline from peak to trough if you'd listen to me. When we'd fallen to Dow 6600, my late friend Mark Haynes told me we'd reached the bottom, which was your signal to get back in. In retrospect, though, all that mattered was that the market eventually came back. That's all people really cared about. My effort to help you sidestep the worst decline in 40 years, aside from the crash of 87, was widely regarded as ill-advised because the market came back. Oh, I'd do it again. I'd make that call, but only if we're facing the real systemic risk that we were back then. And I don't think this outbreak is as serious as the financial crisis, at least not for the stock market. Why not? Well, first, because I think the virus will knock off a percentage point of the Chinese GDP, and, and maybe no more than 0.25 globally. Because some companies will get hurt, notably luxury and hospitality, travel companies. Don't want to own those people. But many companies will be okay. Some will do much better, including one we're going to hear from later in the show that was up huge today, not Tesla, that I think has more to run. In fact, this event is the ultimate reason why you shouldn't put all your money in an index fund. If you own the stocks of companies with less economic sensitivity and less travel exposure, I think you'll do fine. Otherwise, you should expect some pain ahead. So it's not systemic risk, but I also don't think it's a buying opportunity. Not here, not yet. Maybe tomorrow, Alphabet, parent of Google, laid an egg when reported, even as I think it's an excellent non-China play. You certainly want to watch our special right after the show, hosted by my friend Carl Quintanilla, to learn more about the current state of the outbreak before you make any decisions. If you buy stocks right now, you're making a wager on a vaccine, a cure, 
or an effective quarantine. I'd rather wait and see if that's possible before pulling the buy trigger because we're just too close to the highs for my taste. I'll let others make that hard money. I'd rather stand pat, trim the stocks of companies that, that will be directly impacted so I can buy them back lower or swap into something else that's down a great deal and doesn't deserve to be. Mostly, I want to wait until we get more bad news about the virus because I think more news is coming that's bad. I want to hear the outcome of the Iowa caucuses because Bernie Sanders could win. He's pretty proud of the fact that he's not a friend of the stock market. I want to wait until we have at least a mid-single-digit decline in the stock market. We sold a lot for my travel trust. I feel good about those sales. I'm ready to buy back when things settle down. Bottom line, I don't want you to jump the gun, people. Let's wait for a real dip, the kind we haven't had yet, before we get more bullish on this market. I'm betting that another shoe will drop on this coronavirus outbreak, and I think it might be a mistake to buy before that happens. Let's go to Lewis in New York, please. Lewis. Yes, Reverend Jim. First, I got to give you a great big booyah. Well, I like that booyah. I'll give you one in return. How can I help you, Lewis? Uh, actually, my question is about Visa. Uh, there was a little pullback the other day after earnings, and then uh, the coronavirus has uh, made it pull back even more. So now my question is, is it time to back up the truck? No, no, we, we're not backing up stocks that have back up the truck right now on stocks. It's too uncertain. I will tell you this. My Chapel Trust uh, owns uh, MasterCard, which we think is growing faster than Visa and did have a much better quarter. So before I even would go to Visa, I would consider owning the stock of MasterCard. How about Brandon in South Carolina? Brandon. Hey, Jim. Brandon. Uh, first time car. Uh, thoughts on waste management uh, being a long term hold after. At 114, 114 and 118, a lot of people gave up on waste management because they said, oh, geez, the Chinese aren't buying any more of our waste. But I am a big believer in Mr. Fish. He has done a fantastic job, and that stock is not done going higher. Fred in Florida, Fred. Hi, Jim. Fred from Florida. Yeah, Fred. How are you doing today? I am doing well. How about you? Doing well, thanks. Uh, what do you think of Bed Bath & Beyond as a long I like this investment. new CEO from Target very much. I think the stock represents an attractive speculation on this new management, new board, and a new strategy. Look, I understand, after speaking to a lot of people in Miami this weekend, your eagerness to buy. It's always been right. But I would like you to wait for a real dip. So stand pat. Hey, if we miss it, well, they're worse things, okay? Well, man, money tonight. I've gotten a lot of blowback about my stand on fossil fuels, but tonight I'm doubling down. Hi, haters. Hi, haters. Then 102 million viewers watched the Super Bowl last night. How did streaming services impact the viewing habits? I'm eyeing the winners of the court cutting fight. You want to know who they are, and Zoom is up 15% today alone. How are the coronavirus concerns impacting the stock? I've got the CEO, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC. 
Let's see. Tesla plus $129. ExxonMobil minus a buck and change. On a nice day, doesn't that really say it all? Listen, I got a lot of blowback lately for my recent stand on fossil fuels. People are acting like I'm coming at this as an environmentalist, which is nuts. I love the environment, but that never stopped me from recommending the oil stocks for my entire career. I'm not here, though, to take political stands. My job is to help you try to make money. If that's the case, why have I spent so much time in the last couple of years focusing on social issues? I call it impact per share. Sustainability. The planet as a stakeholder. Reducing carbon emissions. Nobody in Wall Street used to care about this stuff. I used to tell you that you can't afford to care about it as an investor. So what changed? All right, now, tons of money managers care about it. CEOs know that lots of people won't buy their stocks unless they take sustainability seriously. Many investors, especially the younger ones, need to hear a company's stance on these issues. And if they don't like it, they never, they'll dump the stock or they'll never touch it. This is not about what I think. It's not about my opinions. You have to check your opinions at the door. But when a critical mass of money managers is behaving this way, you have to care because their buying and selling is what drives stock prices. It's gotten to the point where Larry Fink, he's the CEO of BlackRock, one of the largest asset managers on earth, is now saying these sustainability concerns are paramount in his stock picking. BlackRock's got a huge oil and gas holdings. I mean, Fink's talking about divesting any company that gets more than 25% of its revenue from thermal coal. That's a big greenhouse gas emitter. You don't have to consider my opinions, but Larry Fink's got $7 trillion under management. I think many people just haven't realized the seriousness of this pronouncement. They will. No one in this industry has much sway as Larry Fink, and that includes Warren Buffett. So when you have to ask what he's going to go to after this, I'm betting that he'll say it's oil and gas. But it's not just one very influential money manager. Recently, we spoke to Saudi Nadelli, the CEO of Microsoft. This $1.3 trillion company is moving aggressively to become carbon negative, not neutral but negative by 2030, which includes creating a $1 billion sustainability fund. Microsoft is so powerful that I believe that uh, Nadella's pronouncements will change his, his whole supplier's processes, supply chain, big impact. Finally, few things seem capable of moving the oil market. The Iranians take out a third of Saudi Arabia's capacity with some drones. Crew barely bounces. They shoot missiles at U.S. troops stationed in Iraq. Nothing. The Saudis vowed to hold an emergency OPEC meeting to cut back production last night. Oil drops a buck forty. That's right, right into bear market territory. I know lots of oil execs are unhappy with my stance that I think that you these are on the other side of history, so to speak. But remember, I'm not about making friends on this show. I'm about trying to make you money. And the honest truth is, I don't think I can help you make money in the oil and gas stocks anymore. They feel like a slowly melting ice cube, a wasting asset that will have down revenues unless the price of crude jumps and stays higher. But after recent events, I don't know what's going to make that happen. Now, some are interpreting my stance as some some dope who doesn't know anything and is spouting off about big energy issues. Well, that, my friends, is lunacy. Anyone who's watched this show for the last 14 years knows I've been, a mu- I've been maybe the most vocal proponent of the oil patch of anyone on air, bar none. I'm a huge believer in the U.S. becoming energy independent. I've been a major booster of natural gas as a cleaner bridge fuel. I was an evangelist for the shale plays back when no one even knew what they were. I consider myself a great friend of the late Aubrey McClendon, the old CEO of Chesapeake, who taught me everything I needed to know about the pending boom in natural gas production. I talked to him all the time. McClendon got it right. But the bounty has overwhelmed itself. There's too much oil and gas being pumped with too little demand in this country. That's the essence of the problem when it comes to the stock market. And the reason I think that they are on the wrong side of history, and it has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with the fact that Tesla was up huge today and Exxon stock was down. 
after Goldman Sachs, of all places, downgraded stocks from hold to sell. Stick with Kramer. Officials all over the world are rushing to contain and defeat the coronavirus. What do you need to know to protect your health and your portfolio? Kramer sits down with the CEO of Doctor on Demand when Mad Money returns. Don't forget, we're still right in the heart of earnings season, not just talking about coronavirus. And over the past couple of weeks, we've seen the acceleration of some major long-term trends that we need to talk about. Take cord cutting. People have been bailing on their cable subscriptions for years, but these subscriber losses have suddenly gotten even steeper. Jeez, <laughs> I had my chapel trust on that Viacom. Have you seen that thing? It's been one of my worst investments ever. Cord cut. Consumers have too many other options now that have so many streaming services to choose from. So, so far this season, uh, we've heard both from Comcast, the parent company of this network, and AT&T. Their results tell me that the future belongs to the cord cutters. For example, Comcast reported a fantastic quarter. But there was one ugly line out of the decline in residential video customers, meaning cable TV subscribers down 133,000 year over year. Now, the thing about cord cutting is that it's not really that bad for the cable companies. They make more, they make more, than, make, uh, they more than make up for it with their fast-growing broadband business. Because you can't really substitute Netflix or Disney Plus for cable without high speed internet. Comcast broadband division was up 9.4% last year. Wow. And they even have their own streaming service coming out soon, Peacock. As for ATT, the video numbers were eh, even uglier. They lost 945,000 premium video subscribers. Even the lower-cost skinny bundle that was supposed to compete with streaming services lost 219,000 net subscribers. Again, though, that's not the end of the world for AT&T, because now they have Time Warner, and they've got some major streaming services, including HBO Go. While AT&T claims that these losses peaked last year, Comcast says it will only get worse in 2020, and I'm inclined to believe them. So how do you play it? What's the best way to actually benefit? benefit from cord cutting because you know there's always a way to make money on these big secular trends. For the past two and a half years, Roku's been the big winner because they're one of the few pure plays on streaming. Roku started out as a hardware play. They make a little box that lets you stream programming from any service straight to your television. But gradually, they switched to software, creating a platform that's now built into most smart TVs. Roku makes money by taking a cut of the revenue that these streaming services make using their technology. It's a subscription service. They get a piece of the subscription. If it's a pay-per-view service, they get a piece of its rental fee. If it's an advertising-based service, they get a piece of the ad money. Holy cow. This model's been very successful for Roku. It's why they were able to grow at an astounding pace. And it's why the stock has been an incredible long-term performer. However, in the past few months, well, you know what's happened? Roku's stock has become a a dog. Recent week just started in November when the company reported its most recent results. The problem, Roku sales grew at a 50.5% clip. Now, I know that's the kind of numbers most CEOs would kill for, but it was down from 59% the previous quarter. In short, people started worrying that the growth had peaked. More than that, Roku's stock had been on an epic tear last year. At the beginning of 2019, this was a $45 stock. By late November, it was a $160 stock. I think that it deserved most of that run, though. But by the winter, Roku had clearly gotten ahead of itself. That's why it got slammed in early December on a relatively benign valuation downgrade from Morgan Stanley. After such a huge move, though, they didn't like the risk-reward anymore. In response, the stock lost 15% of its value in a single session, which kind of proved Morgan Stanley's point, didn't it? By mid-December, we learned that the CFO was leaving. 
I don't think there's anything particularly ominous about this departure, but it's definitely a negative, especially when you're dealing with a high-flying growth stock. Worst of all, last week, Roku had a major dispute with Fox over the distribution agreement it has, uh, which was, it was set to expire on Friday. No Fox, no Super Bowl. Roku and Fox reached a deal and there was no blackout, but we're seeing more and more of these disputes between streaming video distributors and content providers. They don't want to give Roku a cut because with a little setup, you can stream their uh, services from your computer or your phone directly to your TV. That's what I do. No Roku needed. Or you buy a cheap little dongle from Amazon or Google to do the same thing. Now, I don't want to count Roku out, especially as its stock just jumped six points today. Company reports in a week and a half, and if the numbers are strong, I expect the stock to soar. However, even with the stock down nearly 50 points from its highs last fall, I'm not loving the risk-reward here. Full disclosure, I have a terrible record with this Roku. So if you don't take me serious, I do not blame you one bit, but I do say you can't get them all right. That said, I think I have a more enticing cord-cutting play. I've introduced them to you, but I want to reiterate it. It's called the Trade Desk. This is a software company that helps its clients manage data-driven digital advertising campaigns. Basically, their platforms help advertisers get the most bang for the buck. For years, that made me a little nervous because anytime someone's making a killing in ad tech, well, you always got to worry that maybe you'll be wrecked by Google's algorithms or Apple's ad blocking technology. The trade desk has been navigating these obstacles for years, but it's a game of cat and mouse that never stops because the big boys don't want to share their ad revenue. When we last spoke to CEO Jeff Green last December, he put a new spin on the story. The trade desk is now a cord cutting play, plain and simple. They build out their technology to help customers find the best places to advertise within the streaming world. Go, just listen to what Green has to say. We go to the biggest advertisers in the world and we say, you need to figure out which digital ads to buy. Sometimes it's audio, sometimes it's TV, sometimes it's display ads. It could be on your phone, it could be anything. But we're trying to help them objectively decide what to buy. And because we don't own any media, all the biggest media companies in the world are partnering with us first to ask them to help bring advertising demand. In other words, maybe the trade desk is the Switzerland of streaming, the neutral third party that can work with everybody. I used to call Roku Switzerland, but they've gotten too big for that. With 30 million users of its own, Roku has a lot of heft, a lot of influence. That's generally a good thing, but it also means they're increasingly more likely to be seen as a competitor than a partner. Look at last week's conflict with Fox. The trade desk, on the other hand, is still a pure facilitator. They can work with anybody. That's what we want. One more thing. The trade desk also reports later this month. We don't know exactly when, but it will probably be around February 19th. I want you to pay close attention to this one. If we get another big sell-off between now and then, I'm giving you my blessing right now to buy it. Yes. It's that good. Bottom line. Roku and the trade desk are both high-flying momentum stocks that benefit enormously from cord cutting. But because Roku is more consumer-facing, people more flexibly buy this one as the true cord cutting play. And at this point, I'd much prefer the less well-known trade desk, which has been better financials and, I think, is a better story. Let's take calls. Let's go to Cam in Massachusetts. Cam. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Cam. Uh, My question is about Snapchat, ticker symbol SNAP. Basically wondering if the stock could be considered a buy at these current levels. I know that they report earnings tomorrow. So if the stock surprises to the upside, could it still be considered a buy? Well, well, at this point, if the stock is yeah, at this point, we're too close to the earnings. I do. I will say, though, I am positively inclined towards Snap uh, because I think that I mean, I'd buy some before and then maybe some after. Why? Because I think Snap is rapidly developing into being a great alternative for a lot of advertisers. Let's go to Bob in New York, please. Bob. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? All right. How are you? 
Jim, I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, Jim, at this point in time where the coronavirus seems to be dominating and driving the markets, a company like DocuSign, which virtually eliminates human interaction, it seems like an equity that demands attention. Do you agree? Um, I think it demands attention because it's so fabulous. I mean, the stock was bid up today and it's at its all time high. But you know what? This is the way of the future, obviously. It's just it's, it's just too ridiculous to do it the old fashioned way. I bless DocuSign right here with or without the coronavirus. Let's go to Dylan in Florida, please. Dylan. Jim Cain, booyah, booyah, booyah. Uh, Dylan, booyah. Well, what's up? Wondering. What's up, my friend? What's up, man? I was just wondering. What do you think about Uber? I know they got a lot going on. They're partnering with Hyundai for aerial taxis in the future. They got a merger going on with DoorDash. They're trying to get into the autonomous car movement. Where do you see their future? Are they a buy right now? I know they're kind of on the rise back from their sale of an IPO. How do they look? Um, Look, Uber, I think, is a great investment up to 45. I think that they are getting a lot of their house in order. All they have to do is close a couple of Google, I mean, a couple of uh, Uber Eats or sell Uber Eats to another company in that business. And I think the stock packs on maybe six, seven points. All right, cord cutting is a major long-term trend. The best way to play it, well, is Roku, except for now, I'm thinking maybe even trade desks better. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with Zoom video. Company soaring today. What's behind the move? I'm talking to the CEO. Then, coronavirus fears escalated over the weekend with news that 30% of adults don't have a primary doctor. How is doctor on demand preparing for the unknown? I've got the CEO. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. of companies help cope with this coronavirus? Well, how about a company that makes it easier for people to work remotely? Something that's a lot more enticing when you're afraid of getting sick. I'm talking about Zoom video communications, which saw its stock explode higher today. It's up nearly 15%. Now, here's a cloud-based video conferencing play that came public last year to enormous fanfare. I don't know if you remember it, but uh, that was before the market turned on the momentum stocks. And this thing went over $100, but then plunged to the 60s. That was its low in the fourth quarter. Since though, Zoom is it's been quietly moving back up. And today it had a huge run, climbing to its highest level in nearly four months. What happened? Well, some of it's the epidemic, and some of it actually might be because we found out about a service outage from Microsoft's competing collaboration software, Teams. And that could give Zoom another leg up with clients who want something maybe that's uh, more reliable. I don't know. So why don't we take it from here? Let's check in with Eric Yuan. He is the founder and CEO of Zoom Video Communications. Get a better read on what's happening. Mr. Yuan, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, fantastic. Now, I've got to tell you, Eric, we're in a strange time. I, if I have to, I'm told I have to work at home because of the virus. I want to feel like I'm still connected. And I don't want to feel like an idiot not having IT there to install it for me. If I'm at home and I'm a person who's not that technically inclined, could I Zoom? Yes, absolutely. The trend is... More and more people are willing to work at home. And also, almost every business has distributed workforce. You need to have a tool like Zoom, very reliable, secure service, to have a very deeper engagement across your companies, uh, employees, uh, customers, and partners. Now, do people uh, go and ask for Zoom? Uh, or is it something that most companies give to employees? 
Actually, the truth, uh, you know, uh, can speak by itself because it works very well. Almost every user and uh, employers, they always want to have reliable tools like Zoom. You know, finally, Zoom can really make it work. Now, I, we had uh, Bracken Darrow on from uh, last week. Uh, and his company's doing quite well, uh, Logitech. And then I, I mistakenly had to tell you, hit up Logitech. And there's these guys from Al, AWL, keep following me everywhere. I've got Al uh, nonstop on my PC. And I've got uh, Logitech. Is there room for uh, you and also uh, this Teams from Microsoft? And then there's also Cisco. How much room is there for all these different companies? I think, uh, first of all, this market is huge. Take Logitech, for example. Logitech is a great partner, and also we partner with any other you know, company like Cisco, like uh, you know, Microsoft. And ultimately, almost every company, they need to have tools like this. I think based on IDC estimates, by 2023, that's a $43 billion market. Look at our revenue last quarter. I think we just started. Yeah, I mean, the revenue number, 85 percent. I mean, I don't know. The analysts don't understand with this uh, new with the virus and now companies saying, you know what, we have to maybe we have to be ready for work at home. I have to believe that your phones were actually ringing off the hook today. You're so right. I have to shut down my phone because actually almost everybody is calling us because given the, in the coronavirus and also cannot travel. But you need to have a very reliable security tools like Zoom. That's why our usage is very, very high since last month, last week. Almost every day, that's a record usage. Oh, my. Now, do you, are you able to, are you constrained or capacity constrained? Or is the uh, leverage in this model so great it doesn't cost more per Zoom? So good news, our employees, they are working very, very hard. We build a very reliable, very scalable technology. I think we are ready to offer a greater service to the people in the, all over the world. Now, you are moving from the consumer to the enterprise. That's happened, what, in the last, last year? The complexion of your business is changing. Actually, you know, we started from offering a service to SMB customers over the past four or five years. We do focus on a lot of enterprise customers. That's why we have so many Fortune 100 companies, you know, who deployed Zoom over the past two or three years. Now, uh, the Microsoft, your competitor, did have an outage, Teams. Does that mean immediately people say, you know what, I want to have a backup is Zoom or I want to trial Zoom? Maybe that won't happen with Zoom? I think on the one hand, Microsoft is our partner. Right? We integrate very well with Microsoft solutions. On the other hand, you know, companies, they are looking for the best breeder service. When it comes to video conferencing, they like to have a, you know, a much better solution. That's why they deployed Zoom. Because we laser focus on the cloud-based, you know, video-first, you know, collaboration solution. That's why when it comes to video and voice, we are sort of the standard now. Now, I, we people know, for instance, the company Discovery. Uh, Discovery is probably, I think, the most uh, intensely beautiful uh, display on my TV. They chose Zoom. I have to believe they care about definition because they, they care about definition to the point when their, their programs are perfect. Why did they go with Zoom, do you think? They are a great customer. I really like them. Actually, they did a test. They tested almost, almost every other solutions. They really need a very reliable solution. No matter which device, no matter where you are, it got to work anytime. That's why they found Zoom. They tested Zoom. They picked up Zoom. Because Zoom service is just better when it comes to experience, better than any other solutions. That's a no-brainer for them to deploy Zoom. 
Uh, last question. Do you think uh, that uh, because of the virus, is it going to change the landscape permanently? Do you think the people are going to say, you know, what, this working at home is pretty great with Zoom. Uh, the companies will say, you know, what, we can, we're just going to change the way we do business. Isn't that possible, given the resolution, how good Zoom is? You are so right. Even before this virus outbreak, almost every business, they already aware of that they have to have a reliable tools like Zoom. Given what had happened, I think more and more people, they are going to have a backup solution. They need to figure out a way how to leverage the modern tools like Zoom, still can get the work done, no matter where they are. All right, well, I'm going to let you get back to work answering those phones with the big Fortune 100 deals that I know you'll put together. And congratulations on all your success, Eric. So proud of you. Thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay. That's Eric Yuan. He's the founder and CEO of Zoom Video, which we have liked since it came public. It got down to levels that we like, and I think it's still terrific. Man, money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the light and then the lighting rounds are, are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lighting round. Let's start with Rocky in Montana. Rocky. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Rocky. How are you? I am good. How about you? Hey, not too bad. What a wild Super Bowl, huh? Yeah, man. Thank you to Andy. What a great what a great season. How can I help? All right. So here's my question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need some help whether to buy, sell, or, uh, or hold. I did the semiconductors, and then I, I was into AMD. I was also into Qualcomm, and I was also into Western Digital. I made profits. I dumped them last week. I went into Micron. And okay. Oh, look, I, I happen to like Micron. I think that it could still go down a little bit if someone says, you know what, the the uh, vac- the there's no vaccine, there's no cure, so coronavirus, China's slowing, let's take Micron down. I would buy some more at 49 but I'd hold on to what you have. How about Austin in Florida? Austin. Yo, Jimbo. How's it going? I'm good. How about you? Good. We're out here from the University of Florida. Yes. Go Gators. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the stock is N-Phase Energy. Do you uh, still you know, I think you got a good one. It's, uh, it's one of the few battery so, you know, uh, suggestions I am ever going to tell you to buy. But remember... Because you're younger, it is speculative, and it's up a great deal. But it does have a sound concept. Let's go to Brendan in California. Brendan. What's going on, Mr. Kramer? I don't know. Just kind of, you know, trying to stay Jimmy Chill. What's up with you? I got you. I got you. Yeah, I got a good company here. I like their CEO. Wingstop. Uh, Wingstop's a winner. I've liked it for a very long time. You let them sell it down for whatever reason because people say don't go out. Uh, we buy Wingstop. They present great value, by the way. Let's go to Mary in California. Mary. Hi, Jim. This is Mary from San Diego. First Hi, time caller, member of the club. There you go. My, my question is on Okta. You used to say Okta was a Kramer household phase. Oh, my. Is it, still, it still is. I mean, you know, look, cybersecurity and identifiers are never going to go out of fashion, particularly when the Chinese are obviously furious at us, even when we you know, let, you know, I don't know, even on the... Even on the virus, they're furious. So you need to have identity. You don't want someone compromising you. And that's why we like that stock so much and it remains a Kramer family fave. Let's go to Ryan in California. Ryan. Hey, Jimmy Chill. This is Ryan chilling in sunny San Diego. What's up? That's me. I'm chilling. What's cooking? (laughs) 
I want to know two quick things about Avita Medical. First, do you think it's found support year round? I liked him. Remember, I liked him. The cellular spray, I thought it was really terrific. It's a spec, but I thought it, you know, a lot of these just, you know, there's a lot of drug companies that need something that grows like this. So I'm going to bless it. But it's a spec, okay? Now I need to speak to Will in Minnesota. Will. Hey, Jimmy Chill. Yeah. Hey, I love your show. Thank My you. stock is uh, Store Capital Management, S-T-O-R. Not investing in these real estate trusts right now, although I'm doing a lot of work on Simon Property Group. And believe not, believe it or not, SPG looks like a big winner. Intrigued by that Forever 21 deal, did some digging. I think that that one is the one to buy. Let's go to Dave in Virginia. Dave. Booyah, Jimbo. Booyah. From Blue, Blue Horseshoe. Would love to hear about MS. Blue Horseshoe. Blue Horseshoe. MS is down a quick four points. I think you should be a buyer right here. I like that one. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. At a time when everyone's thinking about the coronavirus outbreak, we want to check in with some of the companies that are revolutionizing healthcare. Companies like the privately held Doctor On Demand, a leading telemedicine play that lets you video conference with a doctor over the web rather than going to their office in person. Now, most health problems that people experience can be diagnosed with just a teleconference, more than 92% of these. So Doctor On Demand and its competitors are increasingly becoming the primary care physician of choice for busy people. Best of all, you can't catch anything in the waiting room if you don't go to the waiting room. So let's take a closer look with Hill Ferguson, the CEO of Doctor in Demand, to learn more about how his company's doing and get some insights on the epidemic. Mr. Ferguson, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Kramer. Good to be back. Good to see you, Hill. Okay, so Hill, uh, how many people in the last, uh, let's say, two weeks do you have versus before coronavirus calling? Because I think there's a lot of people who are justifiably worried. Yes, this time of year is naturally always busy for Doctor On Demand because of the seasonal flu, um, which has already affected about 19 million people in the U.S., which has resulted in about 180,000 hospitalizations and 10,000 deaths. So this is a, a stronger than average flu season to begin with, but you add on the um, you know the fear of coronavirus, and it's even more. Um, it's even more in demand today at, at Doctor on Demand. You know, Hill, I, I tweeted that we have to keep in perspective this, the coronavirus, because in these figures that you just gave me are up much more than what the CDC had told us. Because I had said at that point, because uh, 7,200 people died and we had 15 million admissions. And people were furious at me that I would possibly relate this to how bad the coronavirus is. Isn't it just coronavirus is very novel and the flu season's really bad? That's right. To put it in perspective, so far there have been about 17,000 cases of coronavirus and 391 deaths, all but one of those in China and the other death being in Philippines. So it's very small relative to what we know as uh, seasonal flu or influenza. Um, the, the challenge with coronavirus and the concern is just that it's so new, we don't really know how wide it will spread and what the fatality rate will ultimately be. Um, but it's certainly no cause for panic. People should take usual precautions, washing their hands as many times a day as they can, not traveling to China is a good idea, and just generally getting in front of a doctor, preferably virtually, uh, anytime you uh, feel any symptoms of a cold or a flu. 
if you can come see one of our doctors, and we're standing by in all 50 states, 24 by 7, if we can get to you uh, within 48 hours of being contracted with a virus, we can actually prescribe an antiviral, which will shorten the symptoms of the flu. That's great. Now, one of the things that I'm writing all this down because uh, what I find is uh, I'm a busy person, okay? And what I do is I stop by the local drugstore. I have to admit there's a health clinic at the drugstore. But I cannot tell you that it's an optimal experience, frankly. I think that they're always too busy and that I feel like, to some degree, I'm a burden on them. I don't want to feel like I'm a burden on an on a tired, you know, really hardworking person in a pharmacy. I don't know if it works. Yeah, you know, there's there's just a real supply and demand reality, Kramer. There are not enough doctors to treat all the patients uh, here in the United States. So we have to find new models to make healthcare more convenient for busy people like you. Telemedicine is a great example of how we're doing that today. Now, I noticed when I went on to subscribe that you're making a concerted push for something that I thought was you needed to be in person, but maybe not, which is uh, psychiatry. Is it working? Absolutely. Uh, Our behavioral health practice has grown by leaps and bounds, doubling last year. Um, As you know, mental illness is a uh, is a fast rising problem in this in this country. Uh, About one in five people will experience a a mental health issue in their lifetime. People are stressed. um, They're concerned. They're anxious. They're depressed. Uh, And it's that much harder to find a mental health professional uh, than a typical medical doctor. So the access supply uh, is even harder, uh, waiting up to 90 days to see a psychiatrist in the U.S. Well, I I also know that I was talking with a lot of the young, we have a lot of very young staff, and almost no one has a primary physician anymore. You know, I had a primary physician from the moment I moved to New York because my mom told me to get a primary physician. It, it doesn't work like that anymore. No, I mean, old guys like us, only about uh, one, two, and two out of three of us have a primary care physician. But if you look at the millennial generation, uh, only about half of them have a primary care physician. And that's because it just doesn't make sense with how people manage their life today. We're not going to pick up the phone and call a doctor's office and schedule an appointment for a month into the future um, where we can go to our mobile phone and video chat with a physician in five minutes or less. Um, so we're just adapting to the changing attitudes and behaviors of the modern consumer. How do you uh, be sure that nobody abuses the system? I know that you can abuse the in-person system. How about you guys? Well, it's a common fear that people will overuse uh, a service that's easy to use. But I don't know about you, Jim, but I don't look forward to going to the doctor. I don't look for reasons for uh, engaging uh, with a physician. So we haven't experienced a a great deal of that. Um, I think it's just more um, uh, hyping than actual reality. In fact, we treat uh, about 93% of our cases all the way through to resolution. Uh, And the remainder, we're able to refer patients into uh, brick-and-mortar facilities or to specialists if they're needed. Well, Dr. Tony Fauci, who I think is the world's expert, was saying today that the reason why he's actually, he, he, look, he's not going to be confident. He would never use that word. The reason why he is actually, uh, let's say, positive on the idea that our country can handle what's going on is because we have a great public health system. Do we, I mean, you are at the fulcrum of knowing whether we can quarantine. Do you think our country is effective? Well, I think we have a great sick care system. You know, we're able to treat patients who are already sick. Um, What we don't do well is preventing illnesses from occurring. Um, We don't do well at making access to physicians so easy that people can get good advice from doctors, 
making sure that they're getting preventative care so that they can avoid developing a chronic condition or getting sick. Uh, and so I, I do think the United States um, has a lot of problems, but one of the things we do pretty well is we take care of sick people. Well, the last thing I want to ask for, and the reason why I mention this is because I feel like the most dangerous place right now to get the coronavirus is at the brick and mortar doctor. I really don't want to go, but I do want to have my symptoms checked. Is it not the most probably other than maybe an airplane, maybe a subway car, the most unfortunately risky place to be is a doctor's office? Right. Well, where do you go to rob a bank? I mean, why do you? Sorry, I should say that again. No, uh, I believe it was Jesse James who said, I, I go to banks because that's where the money is, okay. right? Um, where do sick people go? They go to doctor's offices. So if you can avoid going to these places where you know a lot of people are going to be sick, you're going to be much better off. Well, I have to tell you, the younger people in our office love you. Um, I'm still stuck in that old way, Hill. But you, you, have a, you are doing such great things. I wish that you were public. How about that? That would be a great thing. Thank Hill, you, Jim. Absolutely. Hill Ferguson, CEO of Doctor and Dominion. You can't buy the stock, but boy, people rave about the product at the office. Stay with Kramer. Don't go anywhere, because up next, join my friend and partner, Carl Quintanilla, for a special CNBC report on the spreading coronavirus. You know that Carl and our team will have every angle covered. You cannot afford to miss this. Okay, here's the deal. Alphabet after the close reports a number. And again, it's not what we wanted. I'm getting tired of it. The Chapel Trust owns it. But maybe they can explain their way out of it again? I don't know. After a while, some of these fine names are getting tiresome. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely, in context and with perspective, and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.